on the, in the inner places of our lives. In other words, true worship bears the fruit of us being salty people, of us shining forth light like Jen shared this morning, of, of swallowing the sun and, and letting the beams of his light and his love and his life shine forth from us. And then last week with Pastor Moses, we got a chance to look at John 4 and understand that, that, that worship is only possible because of God. That, that worshiping God is only possible because of Jesus in whom truth is. Or he is truth and we find the source of truth. Right? And, and, and that it's by his spirit that we're empowered to worship God. So as our series closes this morning, I, I do want us to notice that, that worship is not something we do. It's who we are. I mean, that's true of people outside the church as well as inside the church. We're all worshiping beings. We all worship something. But here in the church, we are people who worship God. It's not something we do. The, the, the strategic team that gathered around the worship ministry this past year, uh, I shared it with you a few weeks ago, but we're going to put it up on the screen. They, they came to this de definition that they settled on about worship. Worship is our response both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things that we say and the way we live. Worship is a whole life response to God's greatness and his glory. It's the entirety of our beings. It's about everything we say and do, the, the aspirations we have, the, the desires we, we have for our loved ones. All of them find meaning in our relationship with God. In other words, our identity, our very being is, ident is defined by what holds our attention, the object of our worship. It's kind of like um, Newton's third law of motion. You ever learned that in science? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You know, I don't know if you've ever uh, had a, a little rubber band fight with a sibling, but what happens when you hold that rubber band against their skin and pull back? Well, then when you release it, the, the force you, you put on the rubber band going back is going to reciprocate, going to shoot out of that rubber band and, and, and give your sibling a nice little memory, right? Or what about, what about when you're in the boat, right, and you place the oars in the water? As you put a force on that oar, that oar puts an equal and opposite force on the water and propels the boat through the water, right? There's, there's a response to every force in this world, in creation. Think about this. What would, what would we know about the rubber band? What would we know about the oar? if nothing ever acted upon them, right? Uh, nor would just be a long stick with a flat head on the end of it. We wouldn't know anything different of it. It would just look like any other stick. But when the ore is acted upon, its identity comes out. It, its, its definition comes forth. It's, uh, it's an instrument that helps propel a boat through the water because of the force it's put on it and the, the responding force it puts on the water to move that boat through the water. In other words, objects in nature are uniquely defined by the exchange of forces with another object. 
the relationship they share with another object comes to give definition or helps give definition to who or what they are. Church, this is what makes our worship so significant to who we are as followers of Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said that in our worship of God, he reveals himself to us. Well, I would almost add to that, that in our worship of God, we come to know who we truly are. Because in our response to God, we come to know who we are as children of God, as worshipers of God, as those who have found comfort and hope in the one who created us. In, in, in people who are, we come to realize that we're people who, who have found security in knowing that we belong to God. That we're not just these aimless creatures that are surviving this world by chance. See, worship is like Newton's third law of motion, set to spiritual language. We come to know who we are because of, in our response to the force, the, the action that God has taken upon our lives. So this morning... I want us to turn to Acts chapter 20. By the way, you'll notice that there, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you now. So if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, there's one there. You can certainly uh, break out your phone. I know there's a lot of Bible apps that we could use. We have the TBC app, which has Sunday resources, which includes a Bible app in there. Uh, you could use any number of these resources, but the, the key is let's open the Word of God together this morning. We'll have it on the screen as well if that's helpful to you. But I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20 because I believe Paul has a very special message to the church in Ephesus that, that we can hear and need to hear this morning as it pertains to worship. See, Paul is, Paul is kind of writing to these leaders, these elders. He's not actually in Ephesus at this point. He's, he's on this journey, his third missionary journey, and, and he, kinda, he knows that God is leading him toward Jerusalem, and Jerusalem represents the end of the journey for him. He doesn't know how or, or particularly what, but he, he just knows that this is going to be it. He's not, his journey is coming, his race is coming to an end. And, and so as he journeys toward Ephesus, or towards Jerusalem, he doesn't, he doesn't actually go to Ephesus, but he calls the leaders of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. And, and, and there he gives them a very important message. Let me, let me read for us from Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses, uh, pick up in verse 33 to 35. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these things minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, we do thank you for your word Lord, we, we desire to, to know the, the meaning, not just for the sake of satisfying our minds, but for the, the sort of fruit that we know will come from the, the, the word of God at work in our lives, the transformation that will happen. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would work in us this morning, that we would see and understand what you have spoken through Paul and through Luke in sharing the gospel with the leaders there in Ephesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now make no mistake about this. This is a farewell message. 
Paul is saying farewell to some people he knows and loves. And, and, and saying farewell is difficult, is it not? When, when you know you're not going to see someone again, it's probably the most difficult goodbye you can make. There's a, there, there's a classic film, uh, E.T., and, and in E.T., there's this scene that captures a bit of the emotion and the significance, the poignancy of saying farewell. Let's take a, a moment to watch this clip from, from E.T. I just looked over and Tara was crying. Apparently she hasn't seen E.T. I hope I didn't ruin that ending for, for any of you. Um, you can see that there's a moment here for Elliot. Elliot was someone who, be, who befriended E.T., right? This alien that, that, uh, that, that was there by mistake. His, his people had left him for a while. And, and, and Elliot took him in and, and took care of him. And, and they developed this relationship. But there was this point where E.T. had to return home. He had to go home. But you see that in this, this moment of farewell, there's not many words exchanged, right? This scene actually goes on for about 10 minutes, so I, I had to tr really try to trim it down to what was most important. But, but not a lot of words are exchanged, but these words were, I'll be right here, right? E.T. took that time, that moment, to, to say what was most important to him to say to, to Elliot. I'll be right here in our memories that we share together, right? See, I, I think that it's important for us to understand that there's something to pay attention to when we realize that these are not just words that, were, that are being spoken. This is not just a, I'll see you later. E.T. E wasn't just saying, hey, thanks, Elliot, for the Reese's Pieces that you left for me, or thanks for carrying me in your, your bike basket. He was saying, hey, we have memories together that we're going to share forever. And so it is here with, with, with Paul in in. In Acts chapter 20, as he calls the elders to gather to him in Miletus, it was, it was an emotional and significant moment. He wasn't just saying, hey, uh, make sure you, you turn off the, uh, the, or unplug the, the iron before you leave, or make sure the, the coffee maker's turned off, or make sure the garage door is closed before you actually leave the house. He's not giving these like last-minute instructions He's leaving an imprint and saying, hey, there's something important I need you to think about and remember and hold on to because this is the last chance 
that I have to share with you. In Acts chapter 20, verses, uh, let me see, 36 to 38. Let me read these last words of the chapter. Uh, Paul, uh, Luke records this. He said, and when he, when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul's journey carried on. But, but his, his journey this side of heaven with those elders in Ephesus was to end there. In that, that final farewell that he shared with them. Do you, do you think this was a meaningful moment or a meaningless moment in, in, in Paul's relationship with them? There's uh, a number of people that have, that have had their last words be meaningful and some seemingly meaningless. You may have heard the story of uh, the French queen Marie Antoinette, uh, who, who was executed by French revolutionaries. She, she was sent to the guillotine. Well, as, as history tells it, on her way to the guillotine, she uh, accidentally uh, trips over the foot of her executioner and says, pardon-moi, monsieur, I didn't mean to do that. Right? I didn't do it on purpose. I mean, you think these are the last words that are recorded uh, uh, that, you, that you've ever shared? Right? Or the French astrologer Nostradamus, who, who, whose last words are recorded, tomorrow I will not be here. Well, he was right. He wasn't here tomorrow. And then Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a bit more poetic with his last words, right? When, when he died, he died at the age of 71 in his garden. And when he died, he, he turned to his wife and he said, you are wonderful. And then he held his chest and, and he died. See, last words can be meaningful, can be purposeful. Paul's words here in Acts 20 are not meant to be meaningless. We, we shouldn't read them from, from a, a cursory glance over, you know, Christians be kind or, or do good things. We need to read them and understand them and feel the significance in these last words. Paul's purpose was, was to point people to God all along. He'd always desired to, to point people to God wherever he was, whether he was preaching or working or caring for people or training, uh, teaching other disciples or training up elders. Whatever he was doing, he was pointing people back to God. If you, if you look at back at a few verses in Acts chapter 20 to verse 18, you understand more of this, that, that when, when Paul is passing on these significant words, he's trying to say, hey guys, look back at my life, the, the time that I've spent with you. Understand what's truly most important to me. You know, I, maybe you've heard this statement before, before I go back to verse 18. People, I've heard it said, I don't know who originally said it or, uh, or what, but they'll, they'll oftentimes use this anecdote that it's easy to remember a person and, and your time with them and the things that they did more than to remember the words that they said, right? And, and I think that, that, that Paul is banking on that. He's, he's relying on that because he, he wants the people to look at his life, to understand how he spent his life with them, what drove him, how he trusted in the Lord and how it impacted the, the life he lived. If you do look back at verse 18 in, in the verses following, you look at how Paul kind of credits or, or, or says, hey, Look at my life. Look how I served with humility, even to the point of tears, how I, I, I served in, in a sacrificial way. 
He says, I, I preached the same message over and over and over and over again. A message of repentance. A message of, of turning from our life in this world and turning to Jesus and trusting in him over and again. So I think more than being remembered for what Paul taught, I think the, the emphasis that he's making here in, in Acts 20 is that he wants to be remembered for how he lived his life. He wants to know that they observed him worshiping God, loving him, trusting in him, following in him. He wanted them to know that, that it was Jesus that he followed. It, it, was, it was Jesus that he trusted in. It was Jesus that, that, that he loved. And it was God that he worshiped. Time and again, Paul would say in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Jesus. He doesn't say, repeat the same message that I repeat. He says, in essence, live like I am as I am living like Jesus. Right? And Paul will say in another letter that we, he said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not just the gospel, but our very lives. Right? It mattered to him to, 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 to live with people in such a way that they could see the work of God at work in him. They could see his love for Jesus. They could see his trust in him. It was palpable, right? Paul spent his entire life pointing people to the God who loves him and who he loved. And, and he did it by living that love out, by living out his faith, and by living out his worship of God before others so that they could see it, right? Church, I think this is exactly what a life of worshiping God is meant to be and what it does. So what was the purpose, then, of Paul's final farewell to Ephesus? Why, why did he stop to remind them of this? What, what was, he, what was he, that he wanted them to know? I think it was to, to tell the church that, that a life of faith and worship is not about what I get out of God, but learning to give my life away as God did, right? I mean, when we show up here on Sunday morning, I, I've been guilty of this. Sometimes I'll walk away saying, man... I don't know what was going on that, that morning. You know, like, I didn't get anything out of the sermon. And, you, and I was the one that was preaching it, right? <laughs> it happens. We show up and we think, what am I going to get out of God? What is God going to give me today? But what we come to know and learn through Paul and through others, and, and, and when we spend time looking deeper at the word, is that our worship of God is not to be what we get out of it, but how we learn to give our lives away as Jesus did. And as he invited his followers to do, to lay down their life for others, to take up his cross and follow him, to give their lives away. So let's look at verse 35 real quickly of our passage. In, in verse 35, this is where I really want us to, to just, if you can remember one verse from our passage, a verse that I believe sums up what we're looking at today. It's, it's here in verse 35. Let me read it for us. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this language should not be unfamiliar to us. It's not the first time we've heard Jesus talk about what it means to be blessed, right? 
Now, a little side note, if you were to look in your Bibles where Paul is quoting from, you won't find it. That saying of Jesus is not recorded in our Bibles. It doesn't, however, mean that Jesus didn't say it. If you look at the end of the Gospel of John, John actually says that not all the things that Jesus has done is recorded in this book because there's not enough space in this world to record all the things that Jesus has said and done in all the books of the world. In other words, Jesus said and did more than what, was, what we've recorded, what's been recorded for us and, reserved, and saved for us here in the scriptures, the canon of God's word. But it's believable that Jesus said this, not just because it's here and because Paul is quoting it, but because it also, we see Jesus talking about blessings elsewhere, don't we? You remember in the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes. He's gathered his disciples around him. There's a crowd gathered on the hillside. And he begins to talk about what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to, to have the character of a kingdom citizen, a, a child of God? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think what Jesus' point was, not to describe their actions, it's not, hey, this is what Christians do. He's describing their inner character. He's describing their identity. He's saying, hey, this is who we are as children of God. And so here in Acts chapter 20, Paul isn't telling the church to do one more thing. He's not saying, hey, make sure you unplug the, the iron before you leave the house and Oh, also, make sure you give rather than receive. He's describing the character of the church. The church is a people who, who by very nature, are postured to give away their life, to give away their love, to give away their forgiveness and, and their grace. I mean, talk, let's talk about forgiveness for just one second. How, how easy is it to forgive? Not easy at all. How easy, how, how desirable is it to, to hold a grudge, to be the one who's responsible for vengeance, the, to, to be the one that, that, that's responsible to, 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 for the outcome of justice in a situation? But, but yet we're called to give away our lives, to give away forgiveness. Right? See, Jesus... Jesus wasn't talking about something we do, but, it, but the very character of our being that we embody as we pursue Jesus. And as Pastor Moses spoke last week, this, this very type of worship is it's empowered by God himself. So it's not something you do. It's something that the Spirit of God accomplishes and, and, and bears the fruit of in your life as you pursue Jesus. We become a people in our worship of God who give away rather than receive. Church, we have so much to respond to God for, right? If, if worship, if a lifestyle of worshiping God is, is giving away, is responding to his goodness and giving it back to him and, and to others, we have so much to respond for. We have so much to give thanks for. We love because God first loved us. We read that in 1 John. We, we forgive because he's forgiven us. When, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you, 
we, we ask to, to be forgiven as we've forgiven others, right? Well, the assumption is we're giving away our forgiveness there. We forgive because God for, first forgave us. We, we show grace because God first graciously came down to this earth in the form of man, was born in the flesh, died on the cross and rose again. Worshiping isn't standing up and saying, hey, God, you're so good. It's not just saying the words that we see on the screen. It's understanding that there's a relationship between the words we're being invited to sing and the reality of, of what's in the depth of our heart and our being. When we sing on Sunday morning, when we read the scriptures, it's an invitation for us to interact with the God of all creation. But it doesn't happen if we just stare at the screen and say, okay, God, what am I going to get out of you today? We've got to learn to give, to respond to him, to pay attention to the work he's doing in our lives. Worshiping is living in response to God's goodness in such a way that we give that goodness away. We don't, we don't hold on to it and harbor it for ourselves. We, we give it away to others. There are others that need to see and hear and experience the goodness of God. They need to see it at work in your life. They need to see you responding to God's goodness and see that there's a God who loves them, who's at work in this world today, this very day, and who they can respond to as well, if only they'll acknowledge that he's reaching out to them through Jesus Christ. This past weekend at the, at the marriage retreat, one of the speakers was talking about a job that God had given Adam in the garden as being the keeper of the garden. Now, a little caveat, I'm stuck on this. I'm, it, this keeps rolling through my mind. So you may hear about it again, but today you're going to hear the, the, the first kind of opening kind of shots that, that this is being stuck in my head, right? God puts Adam in the garden, Genesis 2.15. God puts Adam in the garden to keep the garden to care for it, to cultivate it, to, to kind of guard and protect it, right? God gave Adam instructions on what to do there. What's he do next? Well, after God's placed Adam in the garden, given him the job, he says, hey, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone, and he creates Eve. So God has uniquely given man a job to do in the garden, to keep it, to guard it, to protect it, to care for it, to cultivate it. And then after he's given Adam that job, he invites Eve into the mix, right? And he, 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 he calls her to, to kind of support and help in, in accomplishing that task. But fast forward a little bit here with me in the story that we probably know so well. What's happening when Eve bites of the fruit? What's going on there? Where's Adam? Where is Adam uh, speaking up saying, oh, Eve, don't do that. God told us not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He's right next to her with his mouth shut. He's not speaking up. He's not doing what he was created to do to keep and protect the garden. By the way, how is the serpent even in there? I, don't, I, I haven't done enough study on this to know like, theologically what's happening here, but, but like, the serpent's there in the garden. If you're a keeper of the garden, don't you keep out those things that will destroy the garden? Like, in the spring, we go out and we get weed killer and we get insecticides and all these things to try and protect our garden. I think we do. I'm not really a gardener, so I don't know. But we get all these things to kind of protect, to keep those evil things out of our gardens, right? 
So what's Adam doing sitting back quietly while the serpent's talking to Eve? At the very least, why isn't Adam interceding and saying, uh, Eve, I don't think we should talk to this guy. He doesn't, he doesn't look so, so right and good and healthy. See, the problem is Adam failed to live a life of worship. God created Adam to be a keeper of the garden. God, cre- God put his force, he, extended a, he, he, he exacted a force on Adam. Create him with a job. Keep the garden. Adam's response to the life of worship was for him to keep the garden. But Adam failed to do that. Side note, men, real quickly. Again, I'm going to be stuck on this for a while, so I apologize. But men, we need to learn what it means to keep the garden. We need to understand what it means to keep those things that are, that are doing damage to, to, the, to the, our community. I'm not even just talking about your marriage. Your marriage is included. Your children are, commuted, uh, are included, sorry, not commuted, unless they've committed a crime. I'll commute them. Your, your, your church community, your, your community community, the place where you live, you've been created with a responsibility, an act of worship to God to step up, to show up, to to bring the work of God that's been going on in your life upon this world, to let the light of God shine out like we talked about in worship, to, to, to not just swallow that sun and hold it in and make sure none of it shines out, but to step out there, to show up and do something. We have an opportunity. Our lives of worship, our reflection of what God is doing in our lives, the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God. I'm not talking about going out there and fighting a battle. I'm talking about go out there and be someone who's gracious and compassionate. Speak up. Show up. See, Adam failed to live a life of worship. He failed to worship through giving of himself and showing up and responding to God in his life. Church, as children of God, we are like Adam in the Garden of Eden. We have everything good that we could need, everything good that we want. God is with us. We, we live in the New Testament times. We are, are living uh, between the, the first advent and the second advent of Christ. Christ has come. God with us. We have God with us. That's, that's a great comfort. We have that comfort at all times. We have his spirit at work within us, ensuring the ultimate outcome of our circumstances. It doesn't mean we have happy circumstances all the time, but we have this hope that the spirit of God who is at work in us has overcome this world. And so our outcome will ultimately lead to the good that he has planned for this world, the, the outcome of our circumstances. God has gone ahead of us. We have that good knowing that God has gone ahead of us and is securing our future. But Jesus says in John 14 that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a home for us. Our future is secure. We have so much good to respond to God with. We, we, we don't need to be a people who are beat down and discouraged and depressed. We have a God who is alive and at work in this world and in our lives right now. And I'll tell you what, there are people in this world that need to see the light of Christ shining forth from our lives. We need to be people who are giving away 
rather than looking to receive from God. So if we have everything we need in Christ, why should our, why should our lives be defined by receiving anything else? Right? Like, why, why should we turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry, it's not enough. Can you give me a little more? I, I, I need... No. Yeah, we get discouraged. Yes, we get depressed. Yes, we get exhausted and, and, and even burnt out. But you have a place to run to in those moments. It's already handed before you. We have the word of God to look to, to, to turn to, to find comfort in and refuge in. We're not lost. We're not living, waiting for an answer. We have the answers we need because God has spoken. He's revealed himself to us through the scriptures. So why do we need to, to live our lives in such a way that say, I need to receive more from you, God? Our lives of responding to God in worship, of giving ourselves away to God, need to be seen and heard by others. This is why Paul reminds the people of Jesus' words when, when, when Jesus had said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying, hey, you guys, focus on caring for the or orphans. Focus on, uh, on supporting and, and helping the weak. I want, you to, I want you to get out there and be the hands and feet of the gospel message. Don't talk about the love of God. Let the love of God be seen in you and through you. Let others around us see us worshiping God and give glory to him. See, our lives are defined by giving. Giving away, pouring out, showing up, being a benefit to others. So I think a life-worshipping God should be felt, seen, and heard by the world around us. I'm going to say that again because I really, I really want us to understand this. When, when Jesus says it is better to give than to receive, he's not, he's not talking about, hey, make sure you put an extra 20 in the offering plate today. He, he's not saying, you know, if you give God money, He's going he's gonna to return it to you in so much more. That's not what Jesus is saying. He, he's not saying you're going to be so much happier if, you, if you, you give him more than 10%. No, he's saying the very identity, the, the, the definition of the character of the people of God, the kingdom residents, are those who are not looking to hoard their time and their resources and, and, and everything to themselves and, and, and provide themselves comfort. They're those who say, God, I have everything I need in you, and so I'm going I'm to pour it all forth for you. I'm going to respond to your love by loving you and loving others. And so a life-worshipping God should be felt, seen, and heard by the world around us. You hear me? A life-worshipping God should be felt, seen, and heard by the world around us. Brothers and sisters, if you, if you had one last moment to tell those closest to you what the most important thing was that summed up your life, what would it be? What would it be? Paul had that one more moment to share with his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus. And he sums it up with Jesus' words here. It's more blessed to give 
than to receive. That's what he'd done with his whole life. He'd given away. He'd given away his, his time and his love and his passion through the time he spent with people and through his love for God. See, our best life is a life worshiping God for others to see. Our best life is, is a life of worshiping God in such a way that it is felt, seen, and heard by the world around us. Worship isn't something we do. It's who we are. So, so church, let's make sure that God is the object of our worship. Let's make sure that, 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 that if it's who we are, then we want, that we want God to be the very center of our being, the very core of who we are. Let's put Jesus at the center of our lives for our, our families and our communities. Unlike Adam, let's show up. Let's be who God created us to be. Men, you don't have to be the kind of guy that runs out into the woods with a, with a, a, a blade and, and carves up a, a deer. I mean, you can if you want to and if you enjoy that. Uh, but that doesn't define you as, uh, as masculine. Women, we know this for, for a while now, but your femininity isn't defined by how good you, you cook in the kitchen or any of those things. It's so much more than that. I know that's, that's shaky ground I'm stepping on, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on quickly. Our lives are defined by our worship of God. A life worshiping God should be felt, seen, and heard by the world around us. As I close our time in, in, in Acts chapter 20 this morning, I want to close with a, a challenge that Paul give, gave the church in, in Colossae. Um, he he He's talking about this idea of worshiping community as he's writing to them. Get there. Give me a second. I'm flipping pages. In, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul, Paul says this, and let this be a challenge to us, church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you would exert your force, your love, your grace, your forgiveness your righteousness and your justice, your majesty upon us, that in sending us your son Jesus, you reached out to us in such a way that we might not just know you, but know who we've been created to be, that we could respond to Jesus in faith and in love and obedience, that that might be our worship. Lord, teach us to be people, not, don't teach us transform us from the inside out to be people who give our lives away, to, to not be so concerned and overwhelmed with, with zero margin in our lives that we, 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 we hoard our time and we hoard our resources. But Lord, when, when you show us opportunities, we, be, we become people who are quick to say yes to those opportunities and give our lives away for, for God and for others that we might love you by serving you and serving the people around us. 
Lord, may we be a community that sees worship as something where our love and faith in you is felt, seen, and heard by the world around us.